Hi everyone, this is Tim Coffey, your host for Love and Peace, a Beatles podcast. Just like you, I'm a huge, lifelong Beatles fan uh, since 1964, when my sister and myself saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show. Their songs have been the soundtrack of my life, maybe like yours. So, let's get started to look at their legacy. And by the way, you can give me your feedback and, and share your Beatles experiences by emailing me at uh, lapbtls at gmail.com. That's lapbtls at gmail.com. So, let's get started. Today we're going to look at some reflections that I have from notes that I made on uh, the nine-hour docu-series uh, called Get Back. Peter Jackson from New Zealand, a producer, did an incredible job in putting together over uh, nine hours of, of uh, docu-series documents, documentary, I should say, of the Beatles from the Let It Be session. And that was derived from over 50 hours of videotape that was stored uh, in, in a safe for over 50 years. When P Peter Jackson knew about this, he immediately asked Apple Corp if he could have a hand in making a documentary. And I think they, Apple's, uh, Apple Corp was going to make a documentary, and uh, Peter Jackson said, let me give a try to do it. And they did, and he did, and what an incredible uh, end result he got. So, um, it, it's on Disney+. Plus. You can see it. If you don't have Disney+, Plus, I urge you to get it. They have some other good shows on it. But, uh, and it is nine hours. It's three different segments that total nine hours. And it's a long haul. But you know what? Uh, unlike the original Let It Be, which uh, I saw back in, I guess it was 1970, and then I saw it several times thereafter, um, uh, besides that, this is really kind of a, a joyful um, compilation of how the Beatles really acted and interacted amongst themselves in a recording session. Now, they were looking at doing a, uh, a TV show uh, in the next two plus weeks from the time they got started uh, at Abbey Road. Then they went to another studio to complete it. And they were going to have... Um, upwards of 14 different songs to do on this show. So they were literally under the gun. Um, Paul McCartney was kind of the driver, as we'll see. But um, So let's get started. Here's some thoughts that I had. And as I progressed in watching each of the three, I took more notes. So I think that the last session has more thoughts that I wrote down than, than the first two. So... Um, Beginning with docu-series number one of Get Back, uh, there were a lot of uh, MACA songs uh, only in, in Get Back. And I shouldn't say only, but there were other songs that the, the other three Beatles had. But this was dominated by uh, a lot of the different songs that you heard uh, recorded on Let It Be and even Abbey Road that Paul McCartney wrote. Um, George Martin seem to be at times, and this is just my impression, like to hear your thoughts, 
seem to be at times lost in the whole session of, of Get Back. And, and maybe that's because, and again, I'm just speculating that Paul McCartney was really kind of the boss of the whole um, way of doing things and, and getting it. But <clears throat> one of the really interesting things that they had was um, Magic Alex. And if you don't know Magic Alex or who he is, here's a brief story. Uh, John Lennon basically discovered him. And Alex uh, said to John, I will build you an incredible machine that you can use in your recording. And Alex explained to him what he wanted to do. And John said, sure, go ahead, try. So they nicknamed him Al uh, Magic Alex. And the machine he came up with was really of no use, but uh, he was even there in this first series. And they made reference to him. Um, one of the incredible, memorable things that you probably have heard about already is how Paul McCartney formed and began and, and uh, came up with the idea for the song Get Back. You could see Paul just strumming on the guitars, and all of a sudden you could hear the, the tune formation for Get Back. And as he was strumming and doing different chords, he even started to do the lyrics that he actually started that he actually used in the in the real uh, re recording. One of the things that got to me that I, I really didn't know, and maybe it was just a habit of his, but it, it to me it was an eye opener and and sometimes really annoying was uh, Paul McCartney chewing his fingernails all the time, and it's just like oh my God, you're a grown man, get over it. But maybe that was a habit of it. Um, one of the things that stood out beginning in session one was the fact that Paul really was the driver of the group, and he was constantly um, urging the group to move on, to do, uh, complete this song, to do the next song, um, and and again, you'll see that if, if you watch it. Maybe that'll be your, your impression, too. Um, another impression, just kind of a personal observation, but when they did uh, solo shots of Ringo, there are times when he looked really hungover. And he may have been, he may not have been, he may have not have enough cup of teas, uh, cups of tea, or whatever. But, um, but the end result of session number one overlapping into session two, and you could really see it in session number three, was how much fun the Beatles were having. Uh, all of them, especially John and Paul, how much they really enjoyed each other's company. Um, in session number one, all of a sudden comes this beautiful little five-year-old girl, and that's Heather, uh, Paul's adopted uh, daughter. Uh, and Linda came in to, to the studio too. Heather was there, she was dancing around, and she was so funny and just a little doll, very cute. And in, in Paul's interaction, I, I don't think he was doing it for the camera. This was just him. He looked like he was a really, and I, I know he was, but you could see that he was really a, a terrific father and very attentive, uh, too. Um, Billy Preston was, was there, and he really did add an awful lot. By the way, I'm blending in things now from session two as well as uh, session one. Billy Preston was brought in by George... Harrison. Um, there was a time when uh, Paul was kind of bossy to, to George, uh, and George just said basically the hell with that. I'm, uh, I've got a club date. I'm going to go. See ya. 
and he was gone for two days. Um, John went to speak with them. Ringo went to speak with them. Uh, he did come back, um, but he came back with one of the conditions. I want to add something to the group and music especially, and let's have Billy Preston, this great organist who could really add an awful lot. And the Beatles said, sure. Um, related to Billy Preston, uh, this was kind of interesting. They they had a the Paul and John and Ringo uh, and George, and they had a discussion about um, paying Billy, how much to pay him, and uh, about his Billy's future. Uh, how could the Beatles help him? How could they play a role in, in shaping his future? So, but another personal observation, and again, maybe it's yours too, but uh, it was so good. I mean, so, so good to see George and John again. Mm -hmm. um, uh, just, I, I miss them terribly, uh, but they're there in, in on the video, alive, having fun, interacting. Um, Linda, Paul's soon-to-be wife, came in, and she was incredibly beautiful. Uh, I forgot how beautiful uh, she was. And, of course, Paul had a, a great song on his first album, McCartney, Lovely Linda, and that she was. Um, one of the things that really struck me was was George helping Ringo uh, write Octopus Garden. And, and I thought, that's really cool. George, you know, he's kind of the quiet, unseen beetle that is overshadowed by John and Paul. And he was really helping um, Ringo uh, with a couple different parts of Octopus Garden that... that uh, Ringo wrote. Uh, George also was starting to sing the the beginnings of Old Brown Shoe, which which was uh, uh, the B side of one of the songs of the Beatles uh, singles, and I think it was was that the B side of Get Back, um, and it was also on uh, their album. So another observation I had was how bloody much equipment was in that studio. And from pianos to different types of guitars to uh, synthesizers to drums to organs and you name it, they had it. And of course, the Beatles called uh, the recording studio their, their laboratory. Um, now, during this whole process in, in session number three, which I think in the two-week period was sometime in the second week, uh, Yoko's divorce got through, was finalized. And um, so they, they had fun in, in celebrating that. Um, another thing that I, I really forgot and often forget, but what a great drummer Ringo is. And he seemed to pick up everything in a musical sense uh, so naturally. Um, uh, another note that I made was, was Paul joking with Yoko uh, about her and John, and, and they were all having fun. And they were looking at the papers, all the gossip of uh, the papers, the headlines, and they were joke. They were making up their own headlines. Um, and and there were different times when Paul uh, looked stoned. And, and you know what? I'm sure he was because he loved uh, his, his pot, just like John loved his heroin. Um, Mal Evans, uh, this guy I, I always lose sight of when I think about the Beatles, but he's their road manager, and he was in all three of these. He was there to help, to support, 
uh, the Beatles and anything and everything, and he was always really uh, well-dressed up. Um, another observation that I had was, was George and Billy really were a, a good, good team um, uh, together. So it was great to see how something, George Harrison's top song, comes together. He, he starts to hum a little bit of it, and um, anyway. But Billy really added an awful lot to many of the songs, and a lot of times he doesn't even get, get credit for that. Uh, it was interesting to hear them in session three talk about Alan Klein. Uh, Klein was their manager. He was the, the manager of the Rolling Stones. The Stones fired him, uh, the money he took, um, and he, anyway, but, so the Stones, and, and, and well, enough of the Stones here, were, were, you could see the beginnings of, of George's interest in, in the, the food that uh, a starving Biafra in Africa was, was needed uh, in their, in their um, hunger, and this was the initial seed for George's a Bangladesh concert in, was it 71 or 72? Um, January 30th, they ended and they debated. As this whole thing evolved, they went from a TV show. They weren't sure. They eliminated that. They thought about doing a, a live concert on a yacht, maybe in an island, uh, whatever. Paul wanted to go back on the road. The others said no. So Paul... Paul and, and, and I think one of the Apple people said, uh, hey, why don't you do something up on the roof of the Apple Corps headquarters? So on January 30th, they had what is now called uh, the Rooftop Concert. And it was really an interesting discussion uh, among them about a TV show or a film or 14 songs or, or an album or seven songs. Uh, Paul being the producer, uh, George said no film. Uh, making a list for the a rooftop concert. Um, and they loved the impromptu medley that John came up with. Uh, and John came up with some great song titles, too. Uh, George works to do his own albums. Uh, you could see that in session three. And um, The Two of Us was a great song coming out of that that was on the Let It Be album. Um, one of the, the characters that they had was... Um, Mike McCartney, uh, Paul's brother, uh, and Paul was a photographer and apparently a very accomplished photographer. He's also a musician. I think he played piano or organ or something uh, at one point, not in this, this docuseries, but I remember reading at one point uh, the Beatles maybe thought of having him join the group as, as the fifth Beatle, but that never came about. Um, anyway. I love the street commentary that they had in the rooftop concert in the film. Um, they, they went down to the street, interviewed people, uh, comments about uh, what, what it is, the music, is it the Beatles, um, the remarks that they made, and also the thinking of the police. Um, by the way, if you hear a dog in the background, that's our dogs. That's what I call Hey Bulldog by the Beatles. Um, the rooftop concert part had an incredible camera work and camera angles and uh, that they put into the concert uh, from all different angles level wise to uh, top concert uh, top shots that they had um, 
you could see the the uh, the overhead in the street shots again, and the the police were saying, "Turn down the PA, turn down the PA." And I think it was Paul, maybe it was it was John saying, "Turn down the PA." Right, but um, the the upshot of the whole nine hours was, God, they were so good, and they worked so hard, and they had so much fun. Um, lots of fragmented songs that would appear eventually on the Abbey Road uh, album, so uh, plus the uh, Let It Be album. So that's my my commentary on that. I, I want to put a. a a uh, shameless plug-in for a group that I'm involved in as a board member, the Iowa Rock and Roll Music Association. Uh, you can find them at www.iowa, the letter N, roll, rock, N, the letter N, roll.com. They're in Arnold's Park, Iowa. They have an incredible million-dollar museum. The exhibits were made by the same individual who did the uh, exhibit making at the National uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Um, the winter hours are from 10 to 4. They're closed on Saturday and Sunday. If you want to see some incredible Iowa uh, music and, and and see how much Iowa music contributed to rock and roll, to include the Everly Brothers and Buddy Holly, um, you should go to their Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremonies on Labor Day weekend uh, in Arnold's Park. So, that's the Iowa Rock and Roll with the letter N, Rock and Roll Music Association. <clears throat> and their, their mission and uh, mission statement is um, honoring, educating, and inspiring through the power of rock and roll music. <clears throat> so that's it for this episode. Let me know what you think. You can contact me again at lapbtls at gmail.com. Join us next time for another edition of Love and Peace, and we need Love and Peace right now. Love and Peace, a Beatles podcast. Now, go listen to your favorite Beatles song or album. Love and Peace, folks. <laughs>